Welcome in. It's another edition of the Doyle and Derek podcast here with the Indy Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz, but the star of the show, as always, is Greg Doyle. And Greg, this is kind of one of those days. I send you a rundown every single time before our podcast because, you know, I want to be prepared and all of that. And I want to make sure that I hit on all the topics that you want to hit on as well. And time of year like this, when there's just so much going on, I feel like we could lead with any one of probably four or five different things and be fine. I mean, it, I feel like we've got too much to talk about on today's show. Too much, right? T.Y. Hilton might be the last thing we talk about, or we could yeah. jump in right away with T.Y. But, I mean, that's a big story most of the time, but right now it's just he's just one of the guys. Yeah, let's talk tournament first. I, I definitely do want to talk T.Y., and I want to talk about the Colts, who actually did make, I guess, some moves since we last spoke last week on this podcast. But uh, it was crazy. I mean, a crazy first four days. I know you spent a good chunk of it with Joe Hogsett and uh, wrote a great column about it, which uh, I really enjoyed. It's been really cool to see our city and our state be showcased the way that it has. And I've just loved – I'm like a – I'm an upset guy. So I know what people are saying, like, oh, well, the problem with upsets is then, then you get second-round games like Abilene Christian and UCLA, right? Or you get Oral Roberts playing – um, I'm trying to think of who they're even playing this week, Oregon, maybe, or something like that. You know, it, it, later on, you end up kind of paying for those upsets with matchups that you're just like, yeah, I'm kind of over this, but I love that. I love the Cinderella stuff. I eat it up. Well, I, someone sent me an email today telling me the reason why there's so many upsets is that normally, uh, teams play quasi home games, the first round or two. You know, the, the, the top four seeds get sent somewhere where their fans can travel. And whether you get sent somewhere or not, the big schools have big names. They got fans everywhere. These are truly neutral courts, just completely neutral. And at this point, maybe maybe the hunger of the young, you know, the, the, the mid-majors and whatever's the Abilene's, they're always going to be hungrier than Texas. But there's no fan to kind of fan base to surge Texas. So I wonder if there's something to that or if this just is a fluky year. I don't Either way, I'm fine with it because – my bracket sucks every year. I mean, every year it sucks. But a year like this, I don't even stand out as sucking worse than anybody else. So I'm, <laughs> for that reason alone, I'm real happy. Yeah, nobody cares about your individual brackets. But um, I, I actually still have my Final Four alive because uh, I had Houston coming out of that region where they're really the only team left standing. I mean, unless I, I know there were some people that picked Loyola, and Loyola was underseated as an eight. I mean, I think that was pretty clear. Then um, that's not a hindsight thing because they beat Illinois. I, I don't know. I think the tournament generally is outside of when Kentucky is playing or Duke or Carolina are playing in Greensboro. I think for the most part, you maintain a pretty neutral atmosphere. I, I just wonder, Greg, if this year, because they're, it, it's one of the most random and unprecedented years that we've ever had, maybe it shouldn't be a surprise that we've had kind of a, a really random tournament. I mean, that's true, but I do want to double back on what I said. The, the first four seeds get sent to the closest place to them. And so usually that, you know, Illinois might have been playing in Chicago and things like that. And Texas might have been playing it in, in Dallas or in Houston or something. So if you're a top four seed, you get sent – it, those feel like home games um, a lot of times. So having said that, this year is a, a strange year. And, I, you know, the Big Ten, I, I'm not actually going to go watch some tournament games this weekend. I, I've seen a few with Hogsett, but I really didn't pay close attention. I'm too busy talking to Joe. Sure, and yeah. Just people watching, all the people that come up and talk to the mayor, really cool. Um, this weekend I'm going to watch some games and just watch them. And I, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to be struck by the difference between the Big Ten and everybody else. I, I think I'm going to notice – 
Um, I, I think I'm going to notice the Big Ten is slower, thicker, plottier than than most most play, pl- places. I mean, I, you know, Gonzaga doesn't count. Gonzaga is off the charts. They're they are an NBA team, but I'm watching Gonzaga on TV, th- thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is uh, this doesn't look like anything I've seen. I've not yeah. seen five players that can move like that." And, Tr- and Drew Timmy's a big, thick guy, but I've not seen guys like, like they look like they had five pro. I mean, four pros and Drew Timmy, and Timmy might be a pro too. Yeah, Gonzaga's not going to get touched. I mean, we can save the tape. I'll have Clark save the audio on this if people want to make fun of me afterwards, but. The- Gonzaga is absolutely going to be your national champion. Any other result is going to be really shocking. Maybe Baylor can make it a competitive game, but uh, you know that that was an easy pick to me. I think they are a not only are they the best team in in the country this year, I think they're one of the best teams of the last ten years, uh, maybe even of the last twenty years. Um, but yeah, it's embarrassing for the Big Ten, Greg. I, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> you know, to have one team make the second weekend out of nine. Uh, Big 12 was widely regarded as the second best league. They have one team left standing. You know, their their tournament champion lost to Abilene Christian. Um, Kansas got absolutely curb stomped by USC. Uh, they had a lot of teams that faltered. Oklahoma State losing to Oregon State. So it wasn't just limited to the Big 10. I, I don't know. I, I had an argument on Twitter with somebody last night where he's like, well, the Big East is a better league than the Big 10. And, and I'm like, no, it's not. Well, they have two teams left and the Big 10 has one. Yeah, the rest of the Big East stunk this year. Like Butler and Xavier and Seton Hall, they had three teams make the tournament. Like That's kind of my problem with this tournament. It's fun and it's quirky, but at the same time, it's a terrible way to determine a champion because th- these results always have some level of randomness to them. Well, for sure, it's a terrible way to determine what conference is better than what conference. You know, I, I'm not a big fan of tossing out four months of what we saw, and this is not a normal year. There, there were very few non-conference games, but... Um, I'm not a big fan of throwing out four weeks of what we saw for this bizarre winner-take-all emotional, you know, it just it skews everything. The, the, these these games are, they count, and it's great that they count, but they're not really representative of the entire season, which is kind of why March Madness is so crazy, because we, we get results where, like in, in college football, they're going to put the four best teams in the playoffs, and whoever wins, like, yeah, we that's the way it ought to be, and in, in college basketball, you just never know. You just you just don't know who's going to get to the Final Four. It could be, I mean, Loyola is going to get there again this year, maybe. And and uh, all these guys that one of the IU fans want to see coaching, they're all coaching this weekend. They're all they're all. Yeah. I mean, they're all in the second weekend. You've been to the games. Uh, I have not, so I wanted to kind of lean on you for this. As far as I know that you spent time with the mayor, but but from the people that you've talked to or people that have talked to you. Uh, how much buzz is there about the Indiana job? And I would guess that some of that is a product of the fact that it's by far the most high-profile job that's available, right? I mean, Minnesota and DePaul, like, you, you don't really have a lot of other high-profile openings. You know, I, I wrote something, I guess it, it went online um, Tuesday, um, about how IU is not in this tournament, but they're kind of dominating this tournament. And, of course, people on Twitter, because the whole point of Twitter is to let everybody know that I know more than you. So, yeah, but what about, you know, the whole point of Twitter is what about Twitter ought to have a what about function, just a key. Mm-hmm. Like, see, if you just save some time and here's control W is, but what about um, nationally, you know, are people in, in, in Idaho and New York City and all that? Are they talking about, boy, the IU job is dominating? No, they're not. But right here in this state where we are, 
you know, you, you hit, like the, the conversation that I'm hearing and seeing and, and being talked to from people on Twitter, email, whatever, or, or when I see them around, uh, it's, it's half tournament and half IU. And the half that the half that is in the tournament, you, you kind of get around to IU because a coach that IU wants is on that is coaching. So to me, it's the IU's fingerprints are all IU has had a much bigger impact in this tournament than Purdue did. And I don't mean that in a mean way. I just, you know, Purdue lost and no one's really talking about him anymore. IU's not even here and people are talking about him and we'll continue to talk about him until they make their hire. And they might still talk about him depending on who that hire is. Where do you think they're at with that? You know, I think Scott's going to shock us. Um, he's already done the impossible. He's had an opening for about nine days, and there's nothing of substance. There's stuff out there. Like Thad Mata is out there, and that's an absolute joke. I mean, that is that is an absolute joke. And I, somebody at IU, I don't know if it's a, a website. I didn't see it, so I don't know who wrote it, and so it might be someone I know and like. Someone there wrote that, but I've seen it written by kind of a big-time guy down in Louisville who has a TV station. He writes the TV station that Thad Mott is in play. No, he's not. Thad Mott is not. Thad Mott is never getting this job. I mean, Thad Mott might get this job in August, but if you're IU and you're going through the list of candidates, Thad Mott is not in your top 20. I mean, he's unemployed for a reason. You don't rush to hire Thad Mott. So there's a lot of misinformation out there about, about Mott and and Mike Woodson, people are, are hot and heavy. But there's a lot of Mike Woodson chatter from nobody that matters, from nobody that counts. So I think Dolson might just stun us, um, or or it might it might come down to what we kind of thought, which is they're gonna so a lot of these coaches eventually have to lose, and he's gonna try and pick off Musselman, or he's gonna try and pick off Chris Beard, or try and pick off Porter Moser, although Motor's not coming. You know, Nate Oates maybe. I, I I don't and I don't say that to to imply that any of those guys would leave where they are for here. I mean, Arkansas is a basketball school. I'm not sure Musselman leaves Arkansas for here. Nate Oates, I, I don't know. I mean, he's got Alabama as a third seed. His buyout's huge, too. I mean, they, they really – they're trying to protect him down there, as they should. Okay, then he can't come. Porter Moser, if he leaves Loyola – and I'm not sure he is. You know, he might be Mark, Mark Few of the Midwest. But if he leaves Loyola, he's going to Marquette. Marquette is a Jesuit school, just like Loyola. Just like where Porter Moser attended. He went to Creighton. Porter Moser went to a private Catholic school for high school. He's, he's from Chicago. Marquette's 70 miles away. He could take that job and not literally not sell his house. He's not coming here to a public Big Ten school. He's not coming here. So I get and I get aggravated by all this because there's so many experts out there. I mean, everybody thinks I had to argue with the guy yesterday. Some kid, he's got 200 followers telling me that um, that Thad Mata was absolutely contacted by IU and turned the job down. And I wrote no chance. And he's saying, well, and he, he mentioned an, an IU website guy. Well, this guy says he was contacted. Maybe he has better sources than you. And I wrote back, I got better sources than everybody, and there's no chance. Um, it doesn't mean I'm going to break the story. And, I, you know, I don't say this lightly. I really don't say this lightly, but every now and then you just want to remind people of who you are. I, I'll repeat, I've got better sources than everybody. Dan Dockich is a great source all by himself. You know, he played and he knows players and all this. I'll try and say this slowly. I know everybody. I know everybody. Um, no one has better sources than me. And I'm not getting told squat. And I'm cool with that. What I'm not cool with is trying to talk people off ledges like Thad Mata. I'm just tired of it. Tell me if this is unfair of me. Because I think he's done a great job. And I think he's probably a good coach. And he'd probably do a good job at Indiana. Uh, I'm not interested in Porter Moser. Because I don't want to do the mid hot mid-major coach thing again. I just don't. I don't want to do that. 
Um, you know, he, yeah, he had the great run in 2018. He had the great run this year. The rest of his track record is, eh, it's, it's whatever. I mean, he got run out at Illinois state to me. That that's not, maybe that's me being closed-minded because just because Archie failed and he came from a mid-major doesn't mean that the next guy from a mid-major would fail. I totally understand that. But it, to me, th that's just my opinion on it. I don't think Indiana can afford, I would rather aim small and miss small than aim big and miss big. I like that. And, you know, Moser's – I remember when, when Loyola was making a run um, several years ago, and all I knew about Porter Moser was that he sucked at Illinois State. That's all I knew. Yeah. And I remember thinking, how weird is this? I mean, how weird th – this guy's not any good. And obviously he is good. I mean, you can't – you don't do what he did then and then back it up two years later by doing – I mean, he's obviously very – I mean, he's got Loyola, is, as you say, badly seeded as an eight seed. I mean, that, that program belongs in a, a top five seed line, which is – I mean, he's obviously very good, but he fits perfectly at Loyola. He didn't fit. I mean, he fits perfectly at a Jesuit school. And I'm with you on the, the hot, the hot coach. They, Archie Miller was the hot coach, and he mm -hmm. also had other pedigree things. You know, he he wasn't just a hot coach, but he was a hot coach, and and that didn't work. So please don't be fooled by the shiny objects. You know, uh, Moser's only a year younger than Thad. I mean, I, I couldn't believe that when I actually saw it because I don't think people realize that Thad just seems to be a lot older than he is and the health problems obviously play into that as well. But I looked it up online. I think Loyola was playing Illinois and I went on Wikipedia. I was like, how, how old is Porter Mosier? Because I know he's been around for a minute. And then I saw that his birthday was like 10 months uh, after Thad Mata's birthday, which is weird because Moser seems like the youngest, whatever he is, 53-year-old. And Mata feels like the oldest 54-year-old. Um, I will say this about that, Greg. You're right that he's been out of coaching for a while now. Um, his track record's terrific. I mean, he was he was a really good coach and a well-respected guy and a good guy. Like, I'm, I'm not saying that I want Indiana to hire him. Um, you know, if, you, if you're asking me to list 20 coaches that I would like Indiana to have, uh, he wouldn't be 20th. Um, but that said, with the health problems, to me, it's just – there's too much unknown there. You can't, you can't jump into it with his back and, and all the other issues that he's had knowing that he would might have to walk away in two years or something like that. Like you just, you know, Indiana has to measure this on a risk basis too. I think. Yeah. I've got a lot of people saying that Thad Mott is worth, worth the risk or, or Mike Woodson, they ought to give him a shot or there, I, there are too many people this early in the process. Now, granted, if, if it's four weeks later, that that's different. But right now, you're don't don't forget. Like I can't I can't tell if the IU fan base thinks that they're Duke, or if they think they're Duquesne. Like you're you're not Duquesne. You don't take a risk on Thad Mata right now. Thad Mata in 2007 is your first choice. Thad Mata in 2012 is your first choice. Thad Mata in 2021, and I like Thad Mata. I mean, I like him a lot. Um, but he burned out at Ohio State, and after after four bad years, and then hadn't coached since. And you're IU. If you hire Thad Mata right now, you are Duquesne, okay? Because that's the only level job Thad Mata's getting right now. Now, in June, maybe IU can go to Thad Mata. But the idea that people just forget, and then they get mad at you for saying, no, he's not any good, but he, he, he won all this Ohio State. Yes, he did. That was a different Thad Mata. That Thad Mata's gone. Is he coming back? Let him go to Duquesne and prove he's coming back. He can't come here. You think we'll get way far down the road before this decision they're going to take their time, but you know, what do you think if you had to guess what kind of timetable are we looking at here? Like right after the tournament ends, because Musselman, there are a couple of guys that have been linked to this job that, 
you know, you may have to wait another two weeks for. I think that um, Arkansas and Texas Tech need to be eliminated before we'll see something. Um, that's just how it appears because I thought. Which we I already saw, of course, because Arkansas eliminated Texas Tech. Oh, somebody. Some I'm sorry. Yeah, that's why I didn't write them. Okay, I wrote about all these coaches. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't like like hopping in there like to be well actually, but no, because I got Arkansas Texas Tech has, has been eliminated. I got an email from somebody saying, "Why didn't you include Butch Beard in your story? Was that an oversight?" Or not Butch Beard, uh, Chris Beard. And I and I'm like, uh, I, I was I was embarrassed. Like, holy cow, Texas Tech is playing this weekend, and he's obviously a big. And I didn't mention his name. And I said that was just an oversight. And so I, I did, anyway. So Texas Tech is done. Um, we still need Musselman to be done. I thought all along, I thought what would happen is they'd go for Brad Stevens, they'd go for Tony Bennett, and Bennett went, played along by losing the first round. And if they couldn't get either guy, they're going to go ahead and hire John Beeline. That's just how I thought it was going to go. And it hadn't gone there. Now, maybe they're negotiating with Tony Bennett right now trying to get him here. Or or maybe – but if, in lieu of that, that means Beeline is not somebody that's high on their list because he might be on their list, but maybe they have Musselman and you know somebody like that ahead of them because I really thought at this point it would be over. I thought Beeline would be here. Or maybe they feel like they've got Beeline in the bag, so they might as well do their own due diligence on everybody else, and then if they have to circle back to Beeline, then they will. That that could be true, also, and maybe, yeah, I, maybe I, I, again, I'm just guessing too because I'm kind of like you. I'm not uh, I'm not as well tapped in as you are, but I'm I haven't really been hearing anything. Well, I mean, I'm not terribly. I mean, I'm tapped in, but no no one's talking, which is great. I mean, I love that. What I, what I don't like is when you know, selfishly speaking, is that when you have sources, but you don't have the right source. Or maybe you have sources, and by, by having sources, it doesn't mean you have people that tell you everything. It just means that you're, you're in contact with the people that know. Um, and they don't tell you, but they tell somebody else. You know, that sucks. That's a bad feeling. Because at the end of the day, we're all human beings. And like, well, why, why, source X, are you telling, you know, Yahoo or telling Woj or telling whoever, Adam Schefter, but you're not telling me. You know me, too. This is different. This is, there's a handful of people that know, and they're not telling anybody. And I'm cool with that. I'm totally, because I don't get scoops anyway. I never get scoops. So I'm cool with no one beating me right now. Um, but yeah, I, I think Dolson might just surprise us all with somebody that we're not even thinking about. You know, there might be somebody we're just not thinking about. that he's. You know, I mean, what what if, I mean, just to throw a name out, you know, Brad Brown now at Clemson's pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, he's very good. Uh, what if they introduce Brad Brownell tomorrow? You know, like a name like that, that, that is no one's talking about, but it's still really good. You know, Shaka Smart. No one's talking about Shaka Smart. And he's at Texas, granted, making a ton of money. But still, is there somebody like that going to come here? I just think I think Dolston might surprise us. I wonder if Shaka might just beat the, the torch and pitchfork crowd out of Texas and want to go somewhere else just because he, you know, they might move on from him right now. You know, right. Which, you know, I know they just won the tournament and he had his best season, but they had no excuse losing that game. I mean, you saw that Abilene Christian team like that. To me, that was even worse than the Oral Roberts loss for Ohio State. Like the most inexcusable loss of the first round was was Texas with their athleticism and their horses losing to a team like Abilene Christian. Yeah, what's interesting is that and this the selection committee doesn't care. They didn't do it this way. But if you're Texas or if you're Illinois, you you got to be a little bit – I mean, the moment the bracket comes out and you see that in the second round you might have to t- face a team from your state that you never schedule, that you won't schedule, 
or if you do schedule, they got to come to your place and you'll pay them a lot of money to kick their rear end. Like, it's just, if you're Texas, and again, you're Texas, you're supposed to be dabbling Christian. I get it. But these are, these kids are human beings and, and they've got chips in their shoulders on the small school side. And they've got, you know, they get a little bit of ego on the big school side and Illinois thinks Loyola, you can't beat us. And Texas thinks Abilene Christian, you can't beat us. It's like, in, if, it's like if IU had it rolling, just had it rolling and they get to the second round and they've got to play Valpo. Like yeah. Valpo, you, you can't beat us. Well, don't tell Valpo that because that, that's the one school they've been waiting to beat for years. And now's their chance. It's tough. It is tough. And the whole argument about Loyola is, well, they don't play anybody. Yeah, who the hell is going there to play them? Like, what does Illinois have to gain by going to play? There's a reason that Indiana doesn't play at Indiana State anymore. <laughs> because they got rolled there last time. So they're like, hey, we're getting the hell out of here. We're never coming back again. Why would we? Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I, the problem with the selection committee to me is that there has to be more of a happy medium between strength of schedule and eye test and like anybody watching Loyola this year knew that that was a top 15 level basketball team. And for them to be an eight seed, I think was just a real disservice. Whereas you've got a team like Michigan state, Hey, well, Michigan state beat Michigan and Michigan state beat Illinois. Yeah. Michigan state had 20 tries, 20 bites at the apple. So of course they ate some apple. They had 20 bites at it uh, for, for quality wins. You know what I mean? When you play in the big 10, you play a quality opponent basically every single night. I just, I don't know. Uh, the way that they treat mid-majors, I think they need to kind of re-examine that whole thing. Uh, to tie a bow on that, let's just briefly touch on Purdue because for all the great things that they did this year, and you wrote about a lot of them, um, to me, Greg, it's it's just going to be awfully difficult to sit on that loss for seven months uh, against a North Texas team that, you know, they didn't fluke into that win. North Texas straight out played them for 45 minutes, and that's a really – you know, sometimes in March, a team gets hot or it's a fluke. That wasn't a fluke. They were the better team for 45 minutes, and I think that's what would really stick in my craw if I was Matt Painter. Yeah, it, it was not a fluke. North, I wrote, um, you know, the night of the bracket came out, I wrote kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek sort of what what Purdue can't do is what I'm about to do right now for a 1,000 words. They can't look past North Texas. And I proceeded to look past North Texas over and over and over, just kind of having some fun with it. Um, but I did list the three things North Texas has going for it. They've got a really good coach. McCaslin's a really good coach, and we saw that. They've got a, among the country's best three-point shooting. They were hot. And among the country's best scoring defense. They, they have offense, defense, and coaching. They had all the elements to win. So, no, that was not a fluke. Um, you know, Purdue is – what scares me about Purdue is you saw Jay Nivey the last eight games. A completely different player. And he was good. I mean, he was Big Ten Rookie of the Week or Freshman of the Week three or four times. But in the last eight or six, ten games, he he didn't just look like someday he's a pro. He looked like a pro. And I am, if I'm a Purdue fan, I am scared to death that he's turning pro. Now, his mom's a coach at Notre Dame, women's coach, and, you know, I, I'm not sure what, you know, she has something to, I'm sure, a lot to say about development and what college can do for you and so, I mean, everybody's unique, and, and Lord knows Jay Nivey's unique uh, in a lot of ways. But if I'm Purdue, and I'm 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 because because if Jay Nivey comes back, he's the only guy that can leave. Aaron Wheeler's transferring, whatever. He was the ninth man this year, and by the time the fresh the, the, they have some recruits next year, he'll be the eleventh man. That's no big loss. That's no loss at all. Um, Jay Nivey's the only one that can go at, at all, and no one else can even think about it. So, but th- with him, th- their Final Four kind of good. You know, we'll see, but next year they could be. No, hell, yeah. with him they should be. With him they better be. 
but he could go because he's, I mean, he's a first round pick. I don't know if anyone's saying that in the mock draft, but he's not making it out of the first round if he's in that draft. Yeah, I still think, I mean, obviously anybody that is his age for the most part has stuff to work on. I I think there's some development um, shooting and things like that that he'd probably be better served coming back. But uh, I don't know. You know what? I I haven't even looked at the mock draft stuff for for Jaden Ivey. And I think we all knew that Wheeler was the most likely candidate to move on because he probably saw the writing on the wall. And I'm sure Painter was honest with him because he's honest with all of his guys that, hey, look, man. You're more than welcome to come back here, but I'm not sure how much room we're going to have for you in the rotation. Um, And so he wants to move on and and try to find somewhere else. And I'm sure there's going to be a little bit more attrition with that group. But the core of that group, I agree with you, can be um, a Big Ten contender and and certainly a Final Four contender as well. It just... It just sucks. I, I tweeted it out. It reminded me of the IU loss to Ole Miss where you did all these great things all season and now you have to sit on this embarrassing exit for seven months. Like Tom Allen was unbelievable. Indiana had a dream season, but the lasting memory of that season into the spring and summer months is getting punted by an Ole Miss team with nothing to play for missing three of their top guys. Yeah, this, this is going to – it's going to give – you know, fans around the state, an excuse to make fun of Purdue and all this. And, and I hate that Purdue had a special season and, and and they had a special season, not because, not just because, you know, they were good. I mean, they're good most years, but it was special because nobody saw this coming. Nobody. I mean, by mid season, we realized what we were looking at. All those freshmen were better. You know, they're really, really good, but they, they deserve only, as I said earlier about the, the tournament, as, as you've said, we all know, it just kind of skews everything. Just because the Big Ten went, is, has one team, doesn't mean the Big Ten was overrated this year. It just means they, you know, things happened. And just because Archie Miller got the Elite Eight doesn't mean he should be coaching IU. And just because Purdue lost in the first round doesn't mean this season wasn't an overwhelming, stunning success. If you tell, back in August, if you, if you told Purdue fans, hey, this year you're going to finish fourth in the Big Ten, bad news is you're going to lose in the first round of the tournament. Good news is you're getting the tournament. Everybody would have taken that. Wait, we're going to finish fourth in the Big Ten. We're projected ninth. We're going to finish fourth. We're going to be a top five seed, and we're going to get you know we're going to lose the first round. But all that the the four months before that are going to be that much fun. We'll take that. It just but we get skewed by March. Buyers market right now in the NFL, which has played really well into Chris Ballard's hands because he's been able to be patient and just kind of sit around and and wait. Uh, Xavier Rhodes comes back on a bargain deal. If the reports are correct, the maximum value of it is six and a half million dollars, which I'd sign up for in two seconds coming off the year that he had. And with where the Colts are a cornerback, particularly with Rocky Asin and a couple of guys who you're like, eh, I'm not quite sure who these guys are yet. Um, still waiting on Hilton. Looks like they addressed the offensive line depth with Tevi and the signing that they made off of, um, I believe he was with the Chargers, if I'm not mistaken, beforehand, and that deal was just finalized today. Uh, Marlon Mack coming back as well, Greg. I thought that was a little bit of a surprise, no? Big time, but you you, you learn what your, what your value is, and we learn what their value is. And if Marlon Mack is coming back to be clearly not the one, not even 1A. I mean, Jonathan Taylor is the one. Marlon Mack coming off that injury has to be two. That means nobody wanted him that much. At least nobody wanted to give him. I'm sure if I would for one year they would have given him the same deal the Colts gave him. But they got You got to see it. Running back gets hurt like that. You you need to see it. And no one saw it yet. So he's going to come back here and try and do a one year rehab deal, one year you know prove it deal, and maybe get paid next year. Um, are you aware that T. Y. Hilton has kind of gone after Jim Aiello on Twitter a little bit? 
Really? Why would anybody go after Jim? Jim's like the nicest dude in the world. I know. Well, he, he wrote a story <laughs> talking to, I mean, Jim and Joel Erickson both, they do, they, they work so hard. And, and Jim talks to a bunch of agents and for the story, and he's trying to gauge TY's value on the open market and why sure. is he still there and all that. And Jim's got the, you know, from, from agents that would know saying that TY is asking for too much and he's just not worth X and you know, he's not going to get AJ Green money and AJ Green only got like one year, 6 million. I say only, but you know, for AJ Green, that's a kind of a small number, but, and T.Y. Hilton, so he put the story out, not crapping on T.Y. Hilton at all because he's too nice for that, but just explaining here's why he's still available, and it appears that he's asking for more than his agent's asking for more than he's worth. And T.Y. responded you know, to his tweet by saying, who's your source, LOL, or something like that, and I couldn't see it. I can't see it because T.Y. blocked uh, it three years it. ago. Yeah. Oh, really? He Was it after like the three years ago, and, and has never unblocked me and – I mean, I'm sure it's not an active decision. He did three years ago and hadn't given me a second thought. He's great to me in the locker room now. He, it doesn't matter. I'm just saying I, I can't see the tweet. That's all. Yeah, I look, I T.Y. had probably been waiting for a long time to really test the open market like this. And I'm sure at the end of the day, we're all human. And I'm sure that he has seen what's been going on here and has talked to his agent every day and knows that the payday that he probably thought he was going to get pre-COVID uh, ain't happening. And so he probably feels like he's got to save some face. And the Colts know that, you know, whatever their price is for him is the price. But if they could bring back T.Y. on a one-year $6 million deal, I, to me, that's a no-brainer. Um, but I don't know if you know, I don't know where T.Y. is at. If, if T.Y. thinks he's going to get $10 million somewhere, then he's wrong. That's not going to happen, clearly. You I mean, what? even I I thought the market was going to be light. Greg, I had no idea it'd be this light. Yeah, and I I don't want to be mean to T.Y. I just want to be – I want to be fair to what's happening in the world and what, what the truth is. And T.Y. is not worth one year $6 million. I mean, I mean, he was four years ago. No one's, I mean, there's no doubt how tough that guy is. There's no doubt how great he was from 2013 to 2016 and had a pretty good 18 too. There's no doubt. But the last two years, his last two years, you've got to add, and he played 25 games. You've got to add his catches, add his yards, add his touchdowns. And and still they're not, it's barely a full season of what he used to do. I mean, he is, he's almost literally half the player he was. And he's going to be one year older next year. You know, he is, this is what happens. It, it, it's what happens. And, and he's, he's lovable and people like him because he's so tough. But if you can't have, with Jonathan Taylor running like he ran, with that offensive line giving Phillip Rivers protection, with, with Phillip Rivers being a down-the-field, throw-the-ball as far as I can and go catch it, if you only have 56 catches for 700 yards and five TDs with all that going for you, you're just, I mean, that's what you are. And you're and next year, you're, you're older. So you're going to be less than that. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not even sorry for saying this. The facts are what they are. He's just not, it's passed him by. He's go get 3 million somewhere. And that's 3 million more than I'll ever get, but that's what you are. I just think that given where the Colts are at the wide receiver position, particularly waiting on Paris Campbell to be healthy. And, and even if he's healthy, we have no idea if he's going to be good or not. To me, it's it's more worth them bringing Hilton back. But this draft apparently is loaded with wide receiver talent, so I'm not sure the Colts. In fact, I know that the Colts don't feel like he's some like huge priority because this deal would have already been done if he was right. If he was a huge priority, 
there would be no there wouldn't be this waiting period that we're seeing right here with him. T.Y. Hilton is just a step above. He's a body. At this point, he's a body. Okay, he's a guy. That's all he is. And I mean, he he was for ten years or almost. He was our guy, and we loved him. But he's a guy. And the reason the receiver market, the bottom's falling out. This is just my theory, but I'm sure I'm right. Is that because in high school and college, but even high school, they throw the ball so much. Everybody's going five wide. There are so many receivers now coming up that are pro ready and that you've got tape on them. You can see they're pro ready. I mean, like the number three receiver at some schools is going to be a pro. I mean, there's just too many guys. There, there's a re- it's like last year's receiver core was, was deep. This year's, it's going to be deep every single year going forward because the best athletes are not playing running back. They're going to play receiver, if not quarterback. And but in high school, they're going to go. And so we're going to see this every year. So if you're if you're a guy like Ty and you've got a leg injury or two every single year, and you're little, and your numbers are going way way down, it is what it is. And what it is for you, Ty, is over. It's bad timing, no doubt. Bad timing because his production's falling off. Bad timing because of COVID and the market stinks. Bad timing because of his age. I mean, there, there's nothing that really works in Ty's favor here, unfortunately. Um, I hope he's back, but that's more of just, I like T.Y., and I think he's going to be in the Ring of Honor someday, so I would like him to spend his entire career as a Colt. But I understand that Ballard's got to do what he's got to do when it comes to that. Um, Let's move on to uh, Carson Wentz and the press conference last week, which you also wrote about. um, Just kind of your initial impressions of him. I'm not even worried. We've already talked about Carson Wentz, who he can be on the field. You know, Kind of what do you think off of the field and what you read into him personality-wise and just kind of how he handled all of that? Well, first of all, he's going to be on his best behavior for us, and I'm aware of that. So I, I don't – just like March Madness skews what we saw for four months, you know, one day in March can skew it. Well, Carson Wentz, whoever he is, and we're going to find out, he is who he is, and one press conference with me is going to change that. Um, however, who he is is up for debate – because the only people that have said he's a bad guy or a bad teammate or egotistical or this or that, they're not putting their name on it. None of them are. And it was written by a small alternate weekly, whatever in Philadelphia. It wasn't like the Phil. So in other words, those people don't necessarily cover the Eagles. Don't really know who they're talking with. Don't know. I just don't know that it's true. You know, we need to. And and the thing is he was trashed in that story about two years ago which means it's open season and now people are going to come out of the woodwork. It's safe now to come out and say, yeah, I don't like him either. No one followed up. There was no follow-up. The big, there, there was no, that story stands by itself on an Island and it just looks uglier and ugly. So I, who I saw was a, a nice, humble, very spiritual young man um, who has, has already traveled out to Southern California and thrown the ball to a couple of teammates, Dez and uh, Patman and somebody else, um, Pittman. And he's going to do it again. Uh, he's going to throw for some more teammates in a couple a couple weeks. I mean, he's doing everything you can do to be part of the team, even though as an NFL quarterback, it's hard to be part of the team when you are the most important guy in the franchise. But he's doing he's doing what he can. I like him so far. Pacers going to fire Bjorgren and trade Sabonis and Brogdon and blow the whole franchise up or what? You know, there's a very interesting tweet. Like, like I'm not giving that Philadelphia – city paper or whatever that trashed Carson. I'm not giving that a lot of credence. I'm not saying it's wrong. I just, I've got to choose right now. How much do I believe it? And I choose right now not to believe much of it. Um, But it goes both ways. There's a, 
a prominent NBA writer for The Ringer. He's so prominent, I forget his name, O'Connell, McConnell, something like that. O'Connor, O'Connor, I think. But he's got 200,000 followers, covers the NBA for The Ringer. Clearly, he's been doing it for a while. He's got sources that are telling him that, that the Pacers are already getting tired of Nate Bjorkman. And I mean the players are tuning him out. They don't love him. They don't, they don't think he's all that good, that sort of thing. And and him, I can – I mean, I'm willing to listen to that guy. Not because I think he's – not because I think Bjorkman's no good – I'm just saying that's a guy who would have sources that I can trust. So it's interesting, you know, that they're not very good. They haven't gotten better in the fourth quarter, even as they've gotten now four of their five starters are, are, are here. And they, they actually they, they beat the Heat twice, so that's pretty good. I don't know. I mean, you know, you'd like to think at some point you're going to see some reason to believe, and I've not seen a reason to blow it up. It's kind of a, a redshirt punt year, but it'd be nice if, with all these things against you, you still saw glimpses of, yeah, but I can see, I can see, I, I got a reason to believe. But we've not seen a reason yet. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, I, I will say this, Greg, I'm, I'm a little bit tired of the whining uh, because you know that a lot of these writers, they, they get this stuff from agents. And so, you know, it's players and, and all of that with, with the Pacers. And first they were unhappy with old Nate, and now apparently they're unhappy with new Nate. And to me, it's like, you know, LeBron is allowed to complain about the coach. He's LeBron. Joel Embiid, as much as people don't like him, is an MVP candidate year in and year out. He's allowed to complain about the coach. Um, I, I, what's Malcolm Brogdon done to earn the right to complain about anything? Like, Malcolm Brogdon's a, a nice player. Okay, fine. You know, I, I don't really care what Malcolm Brogdon has to say about his coach. I'm certainly not dictating my decisions over what Malcolm Brogdon wants. Um, I don't know. That's that's just kind of where I am with it. I, Bjorgren has left a lot to be desired. I'm not going to – it hasn't been a great first year for him. But to me, a one-year sample size, really a four-month sample size, it's ridiculous to make any huge judgment on that as of right now. Yeah, you make a good point about Brogdon because um, he is the one that ran Nate out of here, sort of. I mean, I'm, Pritchard may have done it on his own. I don't want to say that Brogdon is the, is the tail wagging the whole dog here. But, but Brogdon very clearly didn't, didn't like playing for Nate. And, and now you just got to – you do have to wonder, is, is he the one complaining about Bjorkman? I hope not. And I, I, If I had to guess, I'd say no. But it is interesting that Nate McMillan is doing so well where he is. Of course, he always does well in the regular season. That's what he, I mean, his teams win. They win because he makes them – he grinds them, mm-hmm. which is great. But in the playoffs, they don't win. So we, we've got to see what's going to happen there. I wish they'd just deal Aaron Holiday already because if they're not going to use him, then just get rid of him. <laughs> You know, there are other teams, there are plenty of other teams that could put Aaron Holiday to good use. So if the Pacers don't want to use him, then let him go elsewhere and get something back for him. That, that's that been a little bit frustrating to me. I mean, of all the guys for them to move, I think he's the guy to move. I would rather them not move Turner, even though clearly a lot of teams want Turner, because he's a piece that could put a lot of contenders over the top. But I, I don't even know what they're doing with Holiday anymore, because clearly they don't want to play him. So if you don't want to play him, just let him go somewhere else and get what you can back for him. Yeah, because he is... After Miles Turner, the guy teams want the most, and not because he's the second best player on the team at all, but just because he his contract is, is friendly and they view him as being expendable. So people will try to expend him. They try mm-hmm. to get him. You know, I, I can see Aaron Holiday. You know, when he's really good, which means when he's hitting shots. Of course, say same goes for everybody. But Holiday's a really good athlete. Even in the NBA, he's really good. When he's really good, he reminds me. I mean, at his absolute best, he reminds me of a of a watered down Nate Robinson. You know, he's not that short, but Little, quick, strong, can hit, can shoot jumpers, but can get in the rim and finish. And you know, I mean, there, there's something there. But he's, he'll have. I mean, every time I, I go to Banker's Life and think today's the day I'm gonna write about Aaron Holiday and just how how good he could be. That's the day he goes 
you know, two for nine with four turnovers. You know, he just – the Pacers, he hasn't given the Pacers enough reason to give him 35 minutes a game for 10 games. I mean, because if you do that, seven of those games, he's going to stink and you're going to lose. But the fact that they talk about him like he's this, like, super important piece and all that, I know some of that is puffing for trade value, but to me it's kind of like, look, we, we all know that you don't feel that way or else he'd be out there. So if he's not going to be out there, get something for him instead of just letting him rot. Um, I need you to explain something for me. So you tweeted this last night. Everybody saw this disgusting cinnamon toast crunch story where apparently like a rat got into the ingredients and a rat nest came out in somebody's cereal box. So it was like shrimp tails and string and all kinds of grossness in there. Um, you take chocolate frosted mini wheats and put them on bran flakes? Uh, well, yeah, because have you ever had chocolate frosted mini wheats? No, I've had frosted mini wheats, which I like. I've oh, yeah, had the oh, they're all good. Ones. But the chocolate ones, they're so chocolatey, it's too much. It, 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 it tastes like eating chocolate donuts with milk over them. It, it's, a, like, it, it's a chocolate donut experience. It's a great experience, but it's too much. Um, the bran flakes are kind of like, you know how you have spaghetti meatballs. The pasta is just kind of there to g- give you something to chew on around the meatballs. The, the bran flakes are like the pasta. They're like the rice underneath your, your gravy. They're just there to kind of <laughs> soak up stuff. The bran flakes kind of dilute the chocolate from making it be not so much. I just, I think it's really good. I'm a big believer in mixing my cereals. I'm not a big chocolate cereal guy. Like Cocoa Krispies, Cookie Crisp, like none of the chocolate ones ever, Count Chocula, never really did anything for me. I was always a big, um, and I still have it in the house, Cinnamon Life has always been my favorite cereal. Like no no frills, you know, no fancy box. It's kind of boring, but it just gets the job done for me. I don't buy cereal anymore because I, I eat too much. I would eat too much, and I would eat too much late at night, and it's all carbs, and so, and that's another reason why I put the bran flakes in. It, it also, because I'm a big believer in carb to fiber ratio. Carb to fiber ratio is is the key to healthy eating for me. And bran flakes have a better ratio. You know, the chocolate mini wheats have a surprisingly good ratio of carb to fiber. They got, I and mean, there's a lot of fiber in those yeah. mini wheats. A lot of sugar on top, but a lot of fiber. So the bran flakes even it out for me. So instead of having cereal all night long, I do the mature thing, and I have uh, fudge brownie M and M's. Like a ton of them, you know, and I, I get my blood tested every year and it just occurred to me today why this happens. I am borderline diabetic, pre-diabetic, whatever the glucose level is. I want to say it's up to 200, but you want to be 200 less. I want to say, and I'm at like 207 almost every year. And the thing is, and you're, you, you fast, you do your blood test, but I eat my M&Ms at night, late at night. And then I go 12 hours, don't eat anything. Then I get my blood tested in the morning. And no wonder I'm I'm like borderline pre-diabetic, whatever, despite being in, you know, dare I say it for a 50-year-old man, I'm in really damn good shape. But why am I pre-diabetic? Because I'm eating M&Ms all night long. It's ridiculous. So no, I really to cut it back. We all have our vices. So that's, you know, that's your thing. I'm a big, I'm a kind of a big sugar guy too. I need to cut it out when it comes to all the sugar. I pretty much eat right and don't overeat or anything like that. I don't eat after 8 p.m. I try to just not do that. But I'm a big – anytime there's candy or cookies or anything like that, I have donuts. I have no off switch with stuff like that. I just I just go. I Can't know you're not it. supposed to eat late at night. It's the, it, rule number one is don't eat late at night. And whatever you do, don't eat carbs late at night. 
but I'm, I'm, I'm in my best mood. I start, my days start slow. They always do. I'm not very happy in the morning. I, I, I get better as the day goes on. I mean, it's, it's every single day. It's, it's that way. And I'm at my happiest at bedtime. I just, I'm doing better and better and better, better and better. And if I'm reading a book and I'm kind of awake a little bit at about 10 o'clock, I'm going to start getting hungry. And I'm walking to the freezer and I'm finding, even if it's like a Hot Pocket or a, a French bread pizza, I'm going to have that at 1030. And then I'm going to go right to sleep. It's ridiculous. I, I always often wonder, <laughs> what would I look like if I would just stop eating like a damn child after 10 p.m.? I don't know. What are you working on for this week? Um, I'm going to go to Sweet 16 this this week with, with two things in mind. One is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write about uh, Loyola, and uh, so I'm going to see a game Sunday, and then, of course, the Elite Eight. I'm going to do that. But both Saturday and Sunday, I'm covering an early game, and then the second game has an IU target. The second game Saturday – I think is Musselman. The second game Sunday, I think is Nate Oates. I might have him vice versa, but so I'm going to go cover a game. And then the second game, I'm just going to watch the IU candidate. And if I see enough of both, I might write a story about here's what they, here's what they look like. Uh, so I don't know. I, we'll see, but you know, the tournament's in town and there's a lot of choices, right? Check it out. IndyStar.com slash sports, IndyStar app. You can subscribe and also subscribe to this podcast as well. iTunes, Spotify, wherever else, any of the major platforms that we are put on the Doyle and Derek podcast every single week. Also, uh, you can catch me, Corian Schultz, on Tuesday nights. Next week, it'll actually be Wednesday because we pushed it back a day to get all the NCAA tournament games final for the weekend with the uh, adjusted schedule. ISCSportsNetwork.com or at Schultz975 on Twitter or CorianSchultz.com if you want to check that out as well. Have a great week, Greg, and enjoy the madness as it continues here in our great city. Sounds good, Derek. Talk to you later.